Right, we're coming pretty close to the end of, of um, the book of Acts. We've been, been in it a fair while. I, I should have looked at when we began. I'll look at it sort of when we come to the end, I suppose. But as we come to the end of the book of Acts, we, we've got some very long um, passages just explaining the story of what happened. And we're, we're currently following Paul. So Paul's been arrested in Jerusalem and now he's on his way to Rome. And because this is quite a long reading, there's, um, I'm going to just read it myself this time. And I've chosen a different Bible version this time. Usually I, I preach from the uh, English Standard Version. But uh, today I've chosen the New Living Translation because it's a paraphrase and it just makes it more readable. And I think for following this story, it's just going to make it a little bit easier for us. So I'm just going to read it and... Um, and then we'll just have a, just a very short message on, on what happened. So, starting from Acts chapter 23, verse 11, and I'll be going through to 26, verse 32. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. The next morning... A group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they'd killed Paul. There were, there were more than 40 of them in the conspiracy. And they went to the leading priests and the elders and told them, we've bound ourselves with an oath to eat nothing until we've killed Paul. So you and the high council should ask the commander to bring Paul back to the council again. But pretend that you want to examine his case more fully and we will kill him on the way. But Paul's nephew, his sister's son, heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. Paul called for one of the Roman officers and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. So the officer did, explaining. Paul the prisoner called me over and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took his hand, led him aside and asked, What is it that you want to tell me? Paul's nephew told him, Some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the high council tomorrow, pretending that they want to get some more information, but don't do it. There are more than 40 men hiding along the way, ready to ambush him. They have vowed not to eat or drink anything until they've killed him. They're ready now, just waiting for your consent. Don't let anyone know you told me this, the commander warned the young man. Then the commander called two of his officers and ordered, Get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. Also take 200 spearmen, 70 mounted troops. Provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to Governor Felix. Then he wrote this letter to the governor. From Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by some Jews and they were about to kill him when I arrived with the troops. When I learned that he was a Roman citizen, I removed him to safety. Then I took him to their high council to try to learn the basis of the accusations against him. I soon discovered the charge was something regarding their religious law, certainly nothing worthy of imprisonment or death. But when I was informed of a plot to kill him, I immediately sent him on to you. 
I have told his accusers to bring their charges before you. So, that night, as ordered, the soldiers took Paul as far as Antipatris. They returned to the fortress the next morning, while the mounted troops took him on to Caesarea. When they arrived in Caesarea, they presented Paul and the letter to Governor Felix. He read it and then asked Paul what province he was from. Cilicia, Paul answered. I will hear your case myself when your accusers arrive, the governor told him. Then the governor ordered him to be kept in the prison at Herod's headquarters. Five days later, Ananias, the high priest, arrived with some of the Jewish elders and the lawyer Tertullus to present their case against Paul to the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented the charges against Paul in the following address to the governor. You have provided a long period of peace for us Jews and with foresight have enacted reforms for us. For all this, Your Excellency, we are very grateful to you. But I don't want to bore you, so please give me your attention for only a moment. We have found this man to be a troublemaker who is constantly stirring up riots amongst the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the cult known as the Nazarenes. Furthermore, he was trying to desecrate the temple when we arrested him. You can find out the truth of our accusations by examining him yourself. Then the other Jews chimed in, declaring that everything that Tartalus said was true. The governor then motioned for Paul to speak, and Paul said, I know, sir, that you have been a judge of Jewish affairs for many years, so I gladly present my defence before you. You can quickly discover that I arrived in Jerusalem no more than 12 days ago to worship at the temple. My accusers never found me arguing with anyone in the temple, nor stirring up a riot in any of the synagogues or on the streets of the city. These men cannot prove the things that they accuse me of doing. But I admit that I follow the way, which they call a cult. I worship the God of our ancestors and I firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the prophets. I have the same hope in God that these men have, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. Because of this, I will always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. After several years away, I returned to Jerusalem with money to aid my people and to offer sacrifices to God. My accusers saw me in the temple as I was completing a purification ceremony. There was no crowd around me and no rioting. But some Jews from the province of Asia were there and they ought to be here to bring charges if they have anything against me. Ask these men here what crime the Jewish high council found me guilty of except for the one time I shouted out, I am on trial before you today because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. At that point, Felix, who was quite familiar with the way, adjourned the hearing and said, wait till Lysias, the garrison commander, arrives. Then I will decide the case. 
He ordered an officer to keep Paul in custody, but to give him some freedom and allow his friends to visit him and take care of his needs. A few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Jesus Christ. As he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment, Felix became frightened. Go away, he replied. When it's more convenient, I'll call for you again. He also hoped that Paul would bribe him, so he sent for him quite often and talked with him. After two years went by in this way, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And because Felix wanted to gain favour with the Jewish people, he left Paul in prison. Three days after Festus arrived in Caesarea to take over his new responsibilities, he left for Jerusalem, where the leading priests and other Jewish leaders met with him and made their accusations against Paul. They asked Festus as a favour to transfer Paul to Jerusalem, planning to ambush and kill him on the way. But Festus replied that Paul was at Caesarea and he himself would be returning there soon. So he said, those of you in authority can return with me. If Paul has done anything wrong, you can make your accusations. About eight or ten days later, Festus returned to Caesarea and on the following day took his seat in court and ordered that Paul be brought in. When Paul arrived, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations they couldn't prove. Paul denied the charges. I am not guilty of any crime against the Jewish laws or the temple or the Roman government, he said. Then Festus, wanting to please the Jews, asked him, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? But Paul replied, No. This is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. You know very well I'm not guilty of harming the Jews. If I've done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But if I am innocent, no one has the right to turn me over to these men to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. Festus conferred with his advisers and then replied, Very well, you have appealed to Caesar and to Caesar you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa arrived with his sister Bernice to pay their respects to Festus. During this day of several days, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. There's a prisoner here, he told him, whose case was left for me by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the leading priests and Jewish elders pressed charges against him and asked me to condemn him. I pointed out to them that Roman law does not convict people without a trial. They must be given an opportunity to confront their accusers and defend themselves. When his accusers came here for the trial, I didn't delay. I I called the case the very next day and ordered Paul be brought in. But the accusations made against him weren't any of the crimes I expected. Instead, it was something about their religion and a dead man named Jesus who Paul insists is alive. I was at a loss to know how to investigate these things, so I asked him whether he'd be willing to stand trial on these charges in in Jerusalem. But Paul appealed to have his case decided by the emperor. So I, I ordered that he be held in custody 
until I could arrange to send him to Caesarea. I'd like to hear that man myself, Agrippa said. And Festa replied, you will, tomorrow. So, the next day, Agrippa and Bernice arrived at the auditorium with great pomp, accompanied by military officers and prominent men of the city. Festus ordered that Paul be brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are here, this is the man whose death is demanded by all the Jews, both here and in Jerusalem. But in my opinion, he's done nothing deserving death. However, since he has appealed his case to the emperor, I have decided to send him to Rome. But what shall I write to the emperor? For there's no clear charge against him. So I've brought him before all of you, and especially you, King Agrippa, so that after we examine him, I might have something to write. For it makes no sense to send a prisoner to the emperor without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You may speak in your defence. So Paul, gesturing with his hands, started his defence. I'm fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defence today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders, for I know that you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now, I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfilment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day and they share the same hope that I have. Yet, Your Majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I used to believe that I ought to do everything that I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorised by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. One day I was on just such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and the commission of the leading priests. About noon, Your Majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness, 
Tell people that you have seen me and tell them that I will show you what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place amongst God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove that they have changed by doing the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and in this way announce God's light to the Jews and Gentiles alike. Suddenly, Festus shouted, Paul, you're insane! Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly for I'm sure these events are all familiar with him. They have not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am except for these chains. Then the king, the governor, Benice and all the others stood and left. As they went out, they talked it over and agreed. This man hasn't done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, he could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. Jesus said once to Peter, James, John and Andrew, you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And in a vision, Jesus spoke to Ananias about Paul and he said, He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And here he was. He's standing before kings. He's standing before governors. He's standing before all these important people and their servants testifying about Jesus Christ. This was Paul's purpose. First, He stood before the governor, Felix, and his wife, Drusilla. Now, Felix was not a good man. He was violent and he was cruel to those that he governed. Um, Said by the, the contemporary historians of the day, it was said of Felix that he practiced every kind of cruelty and lust, wielding the power of a king with all of the instincts of a slave. Right? He just wasn't fit for it. He had this role of, of, of having the power of a king. He was a governor for Rome. 
but he just wasn't fit for it. And we can see that coming out in the reading just by the fact that he kept Paul in jail, hoping that he was going to get paid a bribe. Here he is, one of the highest, most important people in all of Israel, and here's poor old Paul, and he thinks he's going to get a bribe out of Paul like he needed that. But Paul got to preach the gospel to him. And he told him about the resurrection. And when Paul told him about the resurrection, he told him the whole truth about the resurrection. He told them the whole uncomfortable truth about the resurrection. He told him that the resurrection is for both the just and the unjust. The just, those who are in Christ, will be raised to eternal life. And the unjust, those who reject Christ, would be raised to judgment. Now, we sometimes don't preach the whole uncomfortable truth about the resurrection. Sometimes we just talk about the resurrection as being, all right, well, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to be raised to eternal life. But there's a flip side of that too. Everyone is raised. You see, Paul was speaking directly to Felix. And when he told him about judgment... When he told him about the resurrection, Felix was alarmed. (gasps) Go away. Go away for now. I'll call you back another time. Paul was speaking directly to Felix, a man whose lack of self-control and lack of righteousness was precisely what enabled him to be such a very cruel leader. And many people today are of the opinion that, hey, death is the end of it all and they're happy with that. And we preach the resurrection and, and, they, and they say, oh, well, if I miss out on the resurrection, that doesn't matter. Uh, if, I just, if I just die and it's all black and darkness, that's fine for me. But the full truth of the resurrection is we are all raised. Some are raised to life. Everyone else is raised to judgment. And that's what Paul preached to Felix and that's why the gospel alarmed him so. Now, let's look at some of the other characters who Paul testified to. And what we're going to discover is a very twisted family tree here. Right Now, first of all, he stood before the governor Felix and his wife Drusilla. And then when Felix was recalled to Rome because he wasn't a very good governor, um, he was replaced by Governor Festus. And Festus then brought in King Agrippa and Bernice. Now, if you have a look at the bottom line of the family tree there, oh, good pointing, Robin. The bottom line of the family tree there, we see King Agrippa was a brother to Drusilla. Now, remember, Drusilla was the wife of the first governor. Okay? So King Agrippa is her her brother, King Agrippa is also brother to Bernice, who was, get this, also believed to be his mistress. Okay? Bernice had already been married to her uncle. I couldn't actually see which one it was, but married to one of her uncles. But when her uncle died, she ended up with her brother. And because of all of the rumours that that their relationship between her and her brother was incestuous, she married somebody else. Um, And he later died, and then she went back to her brother again. 
And then after all of that and, all this, and after this incident that we read about just now, she became mistress to a Roman general called Titus who went on to become Titus, the emperor of Rome. Right? So we're, we've got some pretty big, powerful players here. And they didn't all come from very good stock. So once again, these three people on the bottom, King Agrippa and his two sisters, Bernice and Drusilla, their great-grandfather is at the top of the family tree there. He's Herod the Great. Can anyone remember Herod the Great? What was he famous for? Nope, wrong one. Herod the Great is the one who had all of the little boys killed in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. Okay, he was trying to kill Jesus. Their mother, Herodias, in her previous marriage to Herod Antipas, which is the Herod you're thinking of, Justin. Now, I'm not sure if at this stage it was an official marriage or not because Herodias was married to Herod's brother, uh, Philip, is it? Yep, to Herod's brother, Philip. Anyway, she is the one responsible for John the Baptist being beheaded. So she's the mother of these guys down the bottom. Um, And their half-sister, who is also their first cousin once removed... We're not told her name, is the one who danced and was rewarded for that dance by saying, can I have the head of John the Baptist on a platter? Now, their mother's previous husband, this, this Herod Antipas, um, also their great uncle, by the way, is the one who Jesus thought so little of that he wouldn't even speak to him when he was on trial. And Herodias was not only their mother, she was also their great aunt because their father had married his aunt. (laughs) Are you following this? It took some figuring out. (laughs) All you have to do is have a few little interesting twists on that family tree and and it all just gets ah, out of control. What I'm wanting you to see is this is one twisted up family. This is one messed up family. Their father, Herod Agrippa I, was the one who had James killed and Peter imprisoned. And earlier as we worked our way through Acts, we heard about his death in Acts. He died because he came out dressed in these resplendent robes and and gave such a fantastic speech that everybody went, we're not hearing the words of a man, we're hearing the words of a God. And he goes, "Mm mm-hmm. Instead of saying, oh, no, no, I'm not God. He he just received that, "Mm mm-hmm, and didn't give God the glory. And, um, And so he died a horrible death because of that. So here they all are, Benice, Agrippa, Drusilla, all hearing the gospel from Paul. Right? Well, Drusilla heard it earlier. At this stage, we've got, we've got uh, Agrippa and Benice. And Paul didn't hold any gripe against them. His wish was for them to be saved. That's all he wanted. 
Now, that's a mark of, of real Christian maturity. He's been locked up at this stage for years. And these people represent the powers that are against Christianity. These people represent the powers and the authorities who have kept him locked up and, and who have executed many of his mates. And he says to these people that he wants, he tells them the gospel. He wants them to be saved. And when Agrippa realised that Paul was trying to convert him, he said, you reckon you can convert me in such a short time? And he was right. That's exactly what Paul was trying to do. Paul knew that he didn't have his ear for very long and he only had a short time to try and convince him to start following Jesus. And Paul said, I want all of you. Now remember at this stage it was, it was the governor and the king and his sister who's probably also his wife and, and all of the leading people of the surrounding area and the, the, the military leaders, they're all there. He says, my hope is that you'll all become Christians, that you'll all become just like me, except for these chains, of course. Isn't the Lord wonderful? We all get to make our own choice. We all get the opportunity to decide for ourselves whether we're going to follow Jesus, whether we're going to, or whether we're going to continue down the other path that we've been on and, and refuse to repent. It doesn't matter what your history is. It doesn't matter what your family background is. It doesn't matter how twisted up your family is. It doesn't matter what position you are in society or how messed up you are. We all have the opportunity to have God straighten us out. And the message for all of us is the same. Paul's basic message that day was Jesus is alive. Believe repent and do good deeds that are consistent with that repentance. You get that? It's not just what we believe, it's also how we live. It's also what we do because we believe. We're saved by the blood of Jesus and because we're saved, our deeds, what we do, must be consistent with repentance. There's two ways. We either live in darkness or we live in the light. And if we, and if we live in the light, then our deeds must be deeds of light, not deeds of darkness. That's the message that he proclaimed. Now, the interesting thing is the governors were Rome, Romans. King Agrippa, Bernice and Drusilla were Jews. They'd been brought up to believe in God, but even though they believed in God, the way that they lived their lives, all you've got to do is look at their family situation, the way that they lived their lives betrayed the fact that they were not living in light, they were living in darkness. And so the choice was laid before them that day by Paul. On the day of judgment, they would have no excuse. They could never say, oh, we never heard this. We didn't know. We didn't know we needed to repent. We didn't know we needed to believe in Jesus. They couldn't say this because Paul had already told them. There is an age-old excuse for not following Jesus that keeps getting trotted out by those who don't want to believe. And they'll ask you a question, well, what about those people who haven't heard about Jesus? And my response to them has always been, well, you leave that decision to the just and loving creator God. But you don't have to worry about that because you're not one of those who haven't heard about Jesus. 
You have heard about Jesus. So that excuse you're trying to create, you don't have that excuse. You can't hide behind that argument. And to King Agrippa, Paul made a very cutting statement. He said, this has not been done in a corner. Even before Paul had personally told him the gospel, there was no excuse for Agrippa. He'd heard about Jesus. He knew about these Christians. It wasn't hidden. It was all openly done in their society. The Christians were being publicly executed and at their executions they publicly testified before all who gathered to watch about the goodness of God and how they would refuse to stop following Jesus even at threat of death. And they would continue to give God glory for Jesus right to the point that they were dead. None of this had been done in a corner. Today, it's our job to make sure that we Christians don't shrink back to the corner. The message of Christ is still the same message. It is still the message that saves and our world still desperately needs to hear it. I think I've said enough for today. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, does not belong in a corner. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that Someone shone their light that we were able to see it and we were able to believe in Jesus. Lord, that is just the most wonderful blessing. Lord, enable us to shine our lights before men and women, boys and girls. Help us to shine our lights publicly out in this world. Lord, let us never be ashamed of Jesus. Let us be proud of the one who saves. And Lord, help us to love those around us like Paul loved those people enough to tell them about Jesus. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.